What's up, family? How you guys doing? Everybody awake? God bless you. Happy Palm Sunday. So glad each and every one of you are here. How many of you got your Bibles with you? Come on, we bring our Bibles to church. Get a Bible, make it yours, highlight it, write it in it, take it with you. Put it on your front seat in the car, on your kitchen table, on your desk. Put it everywhere. And uh, it will help you, I promise you. For those who don't know me, my name is Rich. And I'm the lead pastor here. My wife and I have it's a privilege to serve you. And it's Palm Sunday. Anybody know what Palm Sunday is? Yeah, congratulations. Happy Palm Sunday. And I'm going to do something totally different this year. Actually, this whole weekend I'm going to do something different. And it's going to be good. Um, we're going to stay in Acts. And the Lord has confirmed his sovereignty yet once again. And I'm excited over the next couple weeks that we're going to do. I do want to talk to you just a little bit about this so you guys know this is a day that's very traditional. Tradition is not bad. We like tradition. Um, but we want, don't want to just have tradition, right? We want to have a relationship with Jesus. That goes every single day. And what I have kind of been thinking a lot about over the past few months coming into this day is that this is exactly that. It's a day for people. And next week will be a day for people. And I want to talk to you, you know, some out of scripture today and, and some out of my heart, uh, mostly out of scripture. But I'm going to say a few things out of my heart today. I hope you can understand this is from a pastor's heart, right? And what I long for you guys is, is that you would have a deep relationship with Jesus that would go so far beyond Sundays and First Wednesdays, Palm Sunday, <laughs> Easter Sunday, Right? A lot of people come out of the woodworks at Easter. I'll just give you the inside. We call them CEOs. Christmas, Easter, and occasionally, you know. And some of you have been that in the past, and God has healed you from that. And I'm not picking on you. I'm trying to help you get to say there, there's more. There's more than, than the cyclical behavior of, of, of finding yourself in a jam that, that you're like, oh, I just don't feel good. Let me run to church real quick and, and get patched up. And then, okay, all my business as usual. And then next thing you know, you're running on fumes again. And you come running back into church. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I just don't want you to do that anymore. That's not why Jesus came. That's not why Jesus came. In John chapter 12, you can find this story. I'm just going to read a couple verses. He said, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palms and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Um, so what happened is Jesus was coming down. He was launching into this time of his death, right? Everybody else thought he was just going to set him free in a different type of way. They thought he was coming in on a horse. They thought he was going to be the baddest warrior of all. And he is the baddest warrior of all. It's just different than you think. Because when people think about a warrior coming in, they think about him riding in on a horse, right? The biggest, baddest horse and swinging the sword and lopping off Romans' heads and taking over and establishing kingdom. That's not how he came in. He came in on a donkey. First came in on, in a manger, right? And then on a donkey. And what kind of king rides a donkey? That doesn't even make sense. Well, this kind of king, the, the king that comes in humility and, and dies for all of humanity, that's the kind that rides a donkey. Well, let me tell you something. It isn't going to be like that next time. He's not riding a donkey when he comes back, church. He's riding a big horse. You can find it in Revelation. And on his thigh, it's going to say, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will be lifted up and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. 
There's not going to be any mistake about it then. But there's going to be a whole bunch of people scrambling, but it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late at that point. So you want to make sure that it's not too late for you. So I'm not picking on Palm Sunday. I love Palm Sunday. I've celebrated it for 47 years. I like Palm Sunday. Um, but it's, it's got to be more than, than flipping a palm branch around and poking somebody in the eye. Anybody ever been hit in the face by a palm branch on Palm Sunday? I'm the only one. A couple of you. Okay, Chris, Chris is with me. A few of you know what I'm talking about. It's somebody getting wild, right, with the palms. My father pastored in Minnesota for many, many years. I always found it, when I moved to Florida, I found it intriguing that they, they had to have palm branches flown into Minnesota. And I'm like, oh, man, poor people, right? We just go out and pay somebody to carry them away. <laughs> and I should have sold them to my dad, you know what I mean? Uh, he probably, probably would have been mad at me, but that's all right. Turn in your book, the great book, to the book of Acts, and we're going to get there. We're going to finish in chapter 16 today, Lord willing, and I'm excited to share next week with you about a, a few things. We've watched these men on mission. Paul and Silas are on a journey, right? They've been on a journey, and some amazing things have happened as they've, they've challenged, you know, themselves to be obedient and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is everybody in here is sitting here with a plan. All of you. we got plans. we got processes. But it, the Holy Spirit has a plan too. And ours better line up with his, right? Otherwise, he doesn't need to change. We need to change. And uh, we saw the sensitivity of the apostle last week when he said, I, mean, I want to go here. And got the Macedonian call is what it's called in scripture when he saw the vision of the, the, the man saying, help us, help us. And I told you there's people all over South Florida who are literally screaming out, help us. They don't know what they need. We know what they need. We have an answer. We're sitting here with the answer, so we should share it. And we told you last week that we're going to be three instances that we look at in this story, right, spe spe specifically the back half. We see three instances. And Pastor Matt Chandler breaks this down, and I'm actually going to steal some of his stuff today, but I'm giving him credit, Matt Chandler. And what happens here is they're on mission, right? And they show up, and it says that they showed up to this church, right, that wasn't a church yet, but God knew that it would be a church. It's the city of Philippi. Paul later writes a letter to them called Philippians. There you go, right? It's the church of Philippi. So in Acts chapter 16 is the birthplace of the church. And we already started down this path last week. And what we saw was when Paul shows up on the scene, and Silas, they go meet with a lady named Lydia. This is what we talked about last week. Lydia's uh, at least established enough that she can have Bible study in the middle of the day, which is cool. So they go to Bible study, and they sit down, and, and Paul connects with her on an intellectual level, right? He connects with her in a, in a special way. doesn't mean that he was absent of the Holy Spirit's power. No, it says that her eyes were open. She was described as a worshiper of God, which is incredible. We talked about that. I want that label on my life, a worshiper of God. But even still... Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and through Paul's words and as they opened up the word, they, 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 her heart was open. Her capacity was being enlarged and said she was captivated by it and, and they baptized her. That's Lydia. That was the first scene that we were on. The second scene, they're moving through the city now. Lydia's out there. She's been baptized and some amazing things are happening. Paul and Silas are going through the city and it said that a demon-possessed girl who had the gifts of divination or fortune-telling was just on their side, just bothering them. I mean, really bothering them. And we, we kind of ended with this story last year that she had the, 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 the gift by demonic power to 
to tell the fortunes, and her owners gained much fortune by her, which is bad for her, bad for them, but they thought it was good for them. Paul got so annoyed in verse 18, we can start there, it says that she kept doing this for many days. She's going out and saying, hey, these men have come here to proclaim the way of salvation. It says that Paul became greatly annoyed. He turned to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Yeah, and what we kind of, we're ending in these veins, the next few verses we ended with last week, but I'm trying to catch us back up here. Paul did not connect with Lydia the same way that he connected with the demon-possessed girl. It's very different, right? Remember, he wasn't, like, she was just following him around, and he was dealing with this annoyance for a few days. Now, he comes out, he says, come out in the, in the name of Jesus. In that very hour, the spirit came out. She lost her ability to tell fortune. Verse 19 says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. Their hope of gain, that's a sad statement right there. A super sad statement that the hope of gain was gone. If, you're, if your only hope is in the gain of this world, you're sadly mistaken. Because everything that you gain in this world is going gonna, gonna to die. It's going to rust. Scripture tells us there's going to be corruption of it. It will decay. It will fall apart. Your finest vehicle, right, your finest vehicle will rust and fall apart. You'll have to have it restored to continue driving it. Eventually it will fall. If your only hope is in the things of this world, you're going to have some major, major problems, right? You're going to be disappointed all the time. Well, they were disappointed that they were losing money. So they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. That's where we left last week. They advocated they advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore off their garments, right, and gave orders to beat them with rods. This is not an awesome day. It's not an awesome day. This is not the only time that Paul was beaten in his ministry. It's not a thing that he did not expect. Remember, in his conversion, he said, hey, do you know how much you're going to have to suffer for the Lord? He had caused some suffering. Now he is suffering for the Lord. This has happened. So he had some resolve in his mind. There was something that's happened there. I want to take you to a, a passage of scripture. It's not on the screen. 2 Cor Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to jump in just in 23 and read a few verses. It said, are they servants of Christ? Paul's talking about himself. I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now here's what he's saying. In, in my weakness... His strength is made perfect, right? So that's what we just sang a song. May I never boast in anything. 
Now, Paul's not saying all this stuff to just, he's trying to make a point to these people. Like, oh, you, you had it rough? Let me see your hand if you had a bad week, tough week. Anybody? Yeah. How many of you had a, a tough decade? Anybody had a tough decade? Yeah, we feel like that sometimes. We always remember the tough things in life. How many of you have this kind of decade? Been shipwrecked, tired, cold, hungry, friends betraying you, stabbing you in the back, left in the middle of the ocean to a drift, right? He's saying, I, I did all of that, and guess what? I'm still talking about Jesus. I'm still talking about his faithfulness. I'm still talking about his goodness. You can't tell me. You can't tell me about all of this stuff. 23 said, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now the jailer, this is our third part of the story in the second half of Philippians chapter 16. You've got Lydia, right, the business lady, the seller of purple, all this stuff. Then you've got the demon-possessed girl, right, and now you've got... The jailer comes on the scene. Now, he's been given a responsibility. His responsibility is to lock them up. You're in charge of these guys. In fact, it's so serious that he took them and put them in the inner part of the prison. This was, at a minimum, the most secure of all the cells. It, was good, it wasn't one that it could have got out easily. So he puts them in there. And as we said last week, he probably he said their feet were fastened in stocks. What does that mean? They would have could have very very easily been contorted on purpose. So maybe they would have fastened their, their hands like this or crossed their legs. Why? Because they wanted to make it as uncomfortable as possible. This was not just they were just hanging out in jail watching cable TV. No, this was a rough, rough thing. Not to mention they were naked. Not to mention they were hungry. Not to mention they had been beaten with rods. My goodness, this is not a good day. This is not a good day. You think that stopped them? <laughs> Let's look at 25. About midnight. About midnight. I get my worship on a little earlier than midnight, tell you the truth. At midnight, I'm well asleep. But sometimes he wakes me up when I've been sleeping. But at midnight, about midnight, that's the title of today's message, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Beaten. Naked, tired, hungry, <laughs> locked up, contorted, right? Something we like, I gotta have it. It was just too hot for me to worship today. Was the AC broken? I don't think I'm gonna be able to worship. They didn't, oh, the, the lights were just too much. Uh, I, I don't like this carpet. I'm not gonna be able to. Worship. They didn't sing my song today. I'm just not gonna be able to get into it, right? This is the type of behavior that we have if we're not careful. Like when you traveled overseas, one of the reasons I like to travel overseas or get outside of the country is because it calibrates me. It absolutely I'm thankful for all the things that we have here, but none of this stuff matters one bit. It's always been about Jesus. It's always going to be about Jesus. But you go to a place and you worship in the dirt with people, right? And you see, like, why do they have more joy than I have? What's wrong with me? Well, we've gotten too comfortable. That's what's wrong with us. About midnight, Paul and Silas, in all of their discomfort, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's an important thing. If you're going to proclaim to be a Christ follower, you better know people are watching you. And the more you talk about it, the more they're going to watch you. And then when things get tough in your life, that's really when they're going to focus on you. 
because you've been talking about it, why things are good. Oh, everything's great. Everything's great. You love Jesus. Praise Jesus. Everything's good. Now that something goes bad, you got a bad diagnosis. You lost your job. Your car broke down. That's when people are going to go. They're not probably not going to say anything. They're going to wait for you to slip up, then say something. That's when they're really going to dial in. What does this guy really believe? What does she really believe now that life is pressing? Be careful. People are always watching. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Well, this is crazy. This is crazy. Now maybe, just maybe some of you are sitting here and you're, you feel like you're inside a prison today. Not necessarily the prison with the jail bars and, you know, the warden. I'm talking about the prison of anxiety, depression, addiction, bad relationships, things that you just feel like you can't get past. It's the weight of life. It's, I can't get out of this jail. And, and I want to let you know that as big as those things seem in your life, they are not bigger than the grace of God. They are not bigger than the power of God. God has a plan, and his plan is not for you to be in prison, not to be captivated by those things, but to be captivated and apprehended by his love, church. So in the middle of all the craziness, they start worshiping it down. Nobody was playing the keys softly. There weren't any LED screen. There wasn't anything. It was just them and God. And a bunch of other people who probably deserve to be in jail. They were watching. They're watching all their bonds break off in an instant, in an earthquake. And the ground shakes at the core. And the jailer is woke. So apparently he was sleeping. And 27 says, when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing... The, that the prisoners had escaped. So immediately the first thing he does is like, I'm going to kill myself. They're going to kill me. I am in so much trouble, I'm going to kill myself. I, I think we fail to realize how many people are on the verge of suicide every day that we interact with. I mean, a lot more than you think. A lot more. That society just keeps pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. The more they talk about it, the more people... In, do it. They pass their problems on to other people. Let me tell you something. If you are struggling with a suicidal spirit today, I want to tell you, you are loved. You are loved first and foremost by God. You are loved by me, my wife, the people of this church. And immediately I know your spirit says, no, you're not. And I say, yes, you are loved. And if you ever need anybody to talk to, we are here. We want to talk to you. We want to help you. We want to walk this life. doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect. We just want to walk it with you. And, and you are uniquely created and you are special. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he has a future. And he doesn't want you to go down that path of quitting. Do not quit. And for everybody sitting in this room that has heard that today, that's the kind of attitude and message that we have to carry into the world. That there is hope. Everything from our society is pushing hopelessness. Everything. We just read it. It says, when their hope of gain was gone. Is that your hope? To just gain? To get one up on somebody? To get that job? To get that car? That's your hope? If that's it, you're just miserable. You're just miserable. I'm not picking on stuff. I like stuff too. But I can't be our hope. It can't be our hope, church. Guy was about to kill himself. And we know that Paul cried out with a loud voice in verse 28. He said, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
which is miraculous, by the way. What do you think would happen if the jail busted open in South Florida? Yes. There'd be some land speed records around there. People would be cutting out quickly, right? Quickly. That's what would happen. But perhaps the other prisoners were impressed. They certainly were impacted at some level, right? It says they were watching. It's like, how in the world are these guys worshiping in the worst case scenario? They've been beaten, they're tied up, they're in jail, this isn't good. It's a dungeon-like atmosphere, it doesn't feel good, it's cold, they don't even have any clothes on. How are they worshiping? So I'm watching, now, as they worship, as they worship, the ground shakes and breaks everything open. I'm guessing that captivated somebody's attention in there. So maybe, maybe they just said, we, be, we better just sit still for a second. Because you don't want to take off running out of here and then God strike you with lightning or something. The other prisoners maybe, maybe didn't care, maybe they did care. But I think their hearts were held by God in the leadership of Paul and Silas. But I love that Paul was so close that, he was so close to God that even in his torment... Even in his torment, he, he had clarity. You know, you know when you have pain, it's hard to think? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I can't think straight. I hear you talking, but my back's hurting. Right? He's talking to my buddy over here. He's got back problems. <laughs> I was listening to his dad. His dad said, hey, you're like 12 years old. You don't, have, you don't even have a back yet. You know? <laughs> I know how it feels. Right? But when, you, when you have like back pain or neck pain or elbow pain, it's like that's, that gets your attention, Right? Paul did not let those distractions take his focus off the Lord. He continued to press in in worship and prayer and singing hymns, and it was beautiful. Verse 29 says, and the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling, he fell down in fear before Paul and Silas. Sometimes people don't know where to go. If you're living out the gospel in front of people, right, if they say, like, you're the only one I know that knows Jesus, Okay, but I want to introduce you to Jesus himself. You don't have to come to me. I'm not your savior. I'm not your hope. He's your hope. I'm glad that you see something in me, but let's get, let's get you on the path of discipleship, right? So he's trembling. He's afraid. Verse 30 says, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Mm. I thought so much about this this week. What must I do to be saved? There's a lot of debates, a lot of theological debates about this. By the way, your, your prison, if you do it well, might lead to someone's salvation. Just know that. Instead of like, oh, he's just trying to escape every bad situation, you might just take a deep breath and say, Lord, who do you want me to minister to in this situation? I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm in the hospital. When I visit people in the hospital, I always pray that they will see it as a mission field. That's how I pray. Like every doctor that comes by, every nurse, every patient that they're in contact, that they'll just be a witness in there. That's a mission field. You know what I mean? That is a mission field right there. It might be. So he asked the question, what must, what must I do to be saved? I see something in you I don't have. And what does he say? It says in verse 31, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now we're like, that's it? That's it? And I'm like, yes and no. 
And now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to explain it to you. Right? I listened to a, a podcast the other day, and a guy said, how does the thief in the cross fit into your theology? He wasn't baptized. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't speak in tongues. Right? He never got a chance to worship it down. When they're rumbling already. <laughs> All your chains coming off right now. <laughs> oh man. He never got a chance to, to go out and witness to all his hoodlum friends. He never, never got a chance to make restitution where possible. He's just up on the cross while his buddy's making fun of Jesus. He's like, bro, don't do that. That's not a good idea. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know him, but he hasn't done anything. And I just know that, like, I, ha I don't have what it takes. So, like, Jesus, I'm like, I believe, I, I believe in you. So what did Jesus say to him? And today you'll be with me in paradise. Again, he didn't get baptized. He didn't, so so, so what, is, what does this mean for us, right? This is real challenge. We're justified by faith. We're justified by believers. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith right and that not of yourself it's a gift of God Romans 3 28 therefore we can conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law Galatians 2 16 knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ and we have believed in Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ so what am I saying here because I said is that all we have to do yes but that's not all you have to do you know why because you're not the thief on the cross. You're still alive. <laughs> you're still here. And so now I believe the faith justifies me. It brings me into the place of justification just as if I've never sinned. It's been atoned for. That means it's covered inside and out. At atonement means at one with. It makes that happen. Reconciliation. Regeneration. New life in Jesus. So now that I believe something has to change. Something has to change. And here, now I told you I was going to come back to this. Here, here my pastor's heart. Here my pastor's heart for you. And if this jars you a little bit, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. But listen, my heart hurts when I see people only treating the symptoms. Tim Ross talking about it this week. My goodness. Come in here once a month, beat up, empty, tired, frustrated, ready to quit. Come in, hey, I just need prayer because my life's falling apart. Okay, let's pray again. We're going to pray for you. But I'm the whole time I'm telling like, let's do something different. Can we do something different? I'm not saying if you come to Jesus and believe in him that everything is perfect, that you won't have any problem. I'm not saying that. But some of you create your own prisons every week. Every week. And you come in here like, 
okay, the, I can deal. The first week I can deal with the prison. Second week I can deal with the prison. Third week, fourth week I can't do it anymore. Sixth week I can't do it anymore. I got to go back and, and set me free, Lord. And you run right back into the prison again. But my pastor heart to yours, can we do better? I don't know. Like, it's not like, let me just try to be better. You know, you know how you do better? You surrender your life to Christ. That's it. That's all the thief on the cross did. He just didn't have much life left. But I'm looking at everybody in this room, the hundreds of you in this room, and the three services that we have today. And I, I love to do this, right? So I put your finger on your neck, right? If you do that, you know what that's called? It's called a pulse. That means you're still alive. That means that God has a plan for you. And it's not your plan to do what you want. It's his plan that you would live for him. And that he would live through you and speak through you as a vessel, as a conduit to the world. That's what Paul was. That's all Paul was. It wasn't perfect. It was not perfect. But he was willing. And he surrendered. And he cared. Stand with me real quick. i got to finish this got to finish this. It says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized all at once, he and his family. He was the leader of his family, not just blood family, but everybody he had kind of leadership over charge. He's like, hey, we're doing this. Men, lead your people to Jesus. Lead your family to Jesus every single day. If the men aren't doing it, ladies, do it. If the parents aren't doing it, kids, you do it. Lead your family to Jesus. It says he bound them up. Um, they were water baptized. It's great. 34 says that he brought them up to his house. He set food before them. So he was tying them up at one moment. Next thing you know, he's feeding them. And he rejoiced all along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Rejoiced at believing in God. I was glad when they said in the meeting, let us go into the house of the Lord. Some of you got dragged in here today. I saw you come in like this. I'm like, oh, knock it off. This is the house of the Lord. This is the house of the Lord. What a privilege it is to be in the house of God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. Oh, and Paul's like, well, wait a second. Now you want us to go? Because something's off here. Paul said to them, you have beaten us publicly. Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens have thrown us into prison. And now they throw us out secretly? No. Let them come <laughs> themselves and take us out. Now this feels a little bit vindictive. That's what it feels like. It feels like Paul's like, I'm going to get some revenge. You want to beat me? I'm a Roman citizen. Now I want you to come and you're going to do something. But there, there's more to it. I, I was really perplexed by this this week and had to do some study on it. it. says that the police came, the magistrates, and they were afraid because they heard that they were Roman citizens because it was unlawful for Roman citizens to be scourged or to be beaten. So they came down to apologize to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. By the way, top officials don't apologize to people. It just doesn't happen very often. It just doesn't. They do stuff like this. They're like, well, that happened and leave. That's what they do. This is exactly what happened. Verse 40 says, so they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia, the first lady in the story. And they had seen the brothers and they encouraged them and they departed. So why is this story in the Bible? A few reasons. One, Paul 
wasn't just being vindictive here. I studied this this week, and I really thought it was some great insight from one of the theologians. He said, he said this, he said, he was probably setting a standard for the church, for the believers there for the future. He's like, okay, this happened to me, but it's not right. And everybody here is witnessing publicly that that was not right. I'm leaving, but these guys here who have given their lives to Jesus, you don't get to do that to them. And I love that kind of leadership. I love that kind of grit and determination and fortitude. So, like, listen, I took it. I paved the road. I had the pioneering spirit. But you're not going to do that to my friends. And it's okay to stand up to government. And we should stand up to government. And it's okay to stand up against people who come against the church. This is God's church. It's okay. It's okay. Just regular people. Lydia. Seller of purple. Paul connects with her, as I said earlier. How does he connect with her? Intellectually. He sits down. Let's have a Bible study. Let's talk about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Her eyes are open. Her heart is open. Her capacity is enlarged. She's baptized. Life changed. Ministry begun through her. Really, really amazing. Demon-possessed girl right after that. Paul connects. Come out in the name of Jesus. Right? Delivered. Set free. Amazing. You know what? Lydia never would have connected with the demon-possessed girl. Pastor Matt Chandler, this is his stuff. He breaks this down so good. It's just too good. Lydia probably never would have gone out without the power of the gospel and connected with the demon-possessed girl. We agree on that? Let's, let's read. She's a, she's, a, she's a socialite. She's, she's just got the style and grace. She's a business. She's not connecting with the street girl. Right? And the street girl is not connecting with the jailer. Paul didn't connect with him through come out in the name of Jesus. That's not how he did it. And he, sit, he didn't sit down and have a conversation with him, did he? No, he's like, bro, you, don't kill yourself, man. Don't kill yourself. Hold on. Everybody's here. Things can be different. Things can be different. Paul connected to every one of those people differently. Jailer never would have connected with Lydia. He's, a, he's like an ex-military guy. You know what I mean? He's not going to connect with the business lady. And he's not connecting with the street girl. She doesn't want to go to jail. But you know what God does? He takes all of them and all of their differences and he makes them the church. He makes them the church. He doesn't care about your skin color. He doesn't care about how much money you make. He doesn't care about what food you like. Remember what we said last week? You like tostones and you like croquetas. And I like beans and rice and we all like Jesus Christ. And it's a good thing. We're the church. That's what's supposed to happen. It's good. It's good. Don't. None of these people in this story went back to the old selves. None of them. And the church was born. Not service was born. Not three services on a Sunday morning were born. The church in Philippi was born and empowered and ministered and became one of Paul's favorites. Right? I don't know what you came in here with today. 
listen, you are part of this church. If you're here today, you are part of this church. I love you. I'm excited you're here. I don't ever want you to leave. If God takes you away, then we send you with the power and the grace of God. Go to the city that you're going to and bring great change with the gospel, right? Bring it all. But right now, you're here. You are part of this church, and you matter, and we matter. We matter in Homestead. This is, this is one of God's hands to reach Homestead. It's not, we're not perfect. We're just people just jailers and old demon possessed people that got saved and delivered right business people regular regular people who love Jesus anybody love Jesus in this place come on anybody love Jesus in this place I wish I had some people who love Jesus in this place I wish we would lift a voice to God and say thank you for saving our lives never leaving us or forsaking us but setting us free Bow your heads with me today. Father, we thank you for your great love. Sometimes when I think about it, I can't, I can't get it in my little head. It's too big. But I got enough of it in me change me forever. God, I know there's some big questions in here. Like, is that, is that all I have to do is believe? Yes. We believe in you, God, but, but we're not dead. And that means things have to change today. Behaviors have to change. Attitudes have to change. Addictions need to be broken in the name of Jesus. Depression needs to go in the name of Jesus. Anxiety, anything that is opposed to you and your plan for our life is gone in the name of Jesus. We receive your hope, your truth, your life, your strength. Holy Spirit, fill us with power so that we can be your witnesses in this next season. Use us at work. Use us at the gas station. Use us in the grocery store. Use us on the street. God, give us a holy boldness, a fire in our bones for this next season as we share you in Homestead, as we preach truth, as we preach life, as we preach you, Lord. church let's pray this prayer together we pray it often but let's pray it together father i believe come on say it like you mean it i believe i believe in my heart and i confess with my mouth that you are my lord and savior god change everything change my whole life so that i can live for your glory have your way Lord, it's our heart, the heart of this church. Let's put it in your hands, my heart. Give me your heart today, church. We want to live a surrendered life. No more fooling around, no more treating the symptoms. God, uproot anything that shouldn't be there. Have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. And we pray all this in the wonderful, powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Can we put our hands together?